0: You're listening to The Skift Podcast. Today on the program, I speak with Miguel Neves, Editor-in-Chief of Skift Meetings and one of the hosts of The Skift Meetings Podcast. This week, Miguel has been covering the sale of the core business of virtual event company Hopin, the pandemic-era unicorn founded in 2019 that rose to a valuation of nearly $8 billion by August of 2021, but that by the following February had started laying off employees culminating in its sale last week to cloud-based communications company RingCentral for a mere $15 million. As Miguel points out in his reporting, that's billion with a B and million with an M. In our conversation, Miguel details the rise and decline of Hopin, how the established players and events never really had incentive to pursue virtual events outside of pandemic-era lockdowns, and the implications of the Hopin fire sale to the broader events industry. Check out Skift Meetings to find Miguel's reporting along with the latest guidance and inspiration for business event professionals at meetings.skift.com. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Miguel. Thanks, Jose. Thank you for having me. This is a this is a rare crossover moment here with the Skift Meetings
1: podcast and the Skift podcast. First time, hopefully not the last time. Sounds good to me. I think you're usually behind the scenes on the skiff meeting side, so it's fun to have, you, uh, have your voice here as well.
0: So um, jumping into what we're here to discuss, which is the sale of Hopin. You reported this week that virtual event platform Hopin was sold for $15 million around there. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Hopin might not necessarily be a household name, um, but I think to most people in the events and meeting space, it, it's a pretty big deal, especially during the height of the pandemic. Um, personally, as a video producer, virtual events and live streams were the only thing happening uh, at the beginning of the pandemic during those first 18 months or so. And so I was very early into, into Hopin and um, saw them emerge as the leader. Can you talk a little bit about the Hopin story before we jump into the sale?
1: Sure. It's, uh, it's kind of a, a very... Uh pandemic-focused story. So they started in 2019. The founder, Johnny Bufferhat, he uh, um, started literally in his bedroom. I think he had uh, some sort of medical condition that prevented him from traveling to an event. And he kind of uh, realized that there was this great potential of doing kind of events online, virtual events as, as we know them now. And so it started in 2019. He got some early funding in sort of like the end of 2019 and, and got some momentum going. He was based in London. And then kind of when the pandemic hit, uh kind of February, it was just sort of building some momentum. And I think the timing was just, you know, amazingly perfect. It just um credit to him. I think the p- platform was pretty solid compared to everything that was out there. And if you think we've come a long way in terms of virtual events and even kind of webinar platforms are now much more capable but before this you had sort of zoom meetings which were you know decent um you know you had skype you had things like that and then you had some like incumbent technologies like digital and Intrado, which were like super clunky they were kind of like windows 95 meets <laughs> video conferencing you know they're pretty pretty basic and when suddenly everybody wanted to do these virtual events online things there was, there was a very few options for something that kind of felt good, looked good. Um, I think this idea of having multiple sessions happening at the same time and people having some sort of like lobby, virtual lobby area to kind of float around and explore an event, that was something that wasn't really that common. And Hoppen oh. took a really pragmatic approach. They didn't do any of this sort of 3D lobbies or anything like that. They just had a sort of like, here are the sessions that are going on right now. Click on whichever one you want to go. And and it worked, right? and. And so I think they went through this crazy growth period where, you know, thousands of people were sort of, you know, knocking at their door and wanting to host events. And there's a lot of stories out there of the, the founder kind of, he was also a developer and kind of creating features as people are asking for them and yeah. you know, kind of moving pretty fast. And so then Hopin went through this crazy growth period. They raised a number of rounds of funding. I think something like 50 million the first round then 125 million. And they had two rounds that were 400 and 450 million. I mean, any of those are the largest rounds ever raised for virtual event platforms. I think the next biggest one is something like 150 million. So wow. we're talking like three times the size of anything that's ever been done before. And so Hopin became this kind of like darling of virtual events um, and and all these VC, all this money was kind of getting poured into. And so they had this crazy rise in 2020 all the way until sort of the kind of the last quarter of 21. Um, I right. think we had, you know, in 21, if you remember back, there was sort of um, COVID kind of, eased off a little bit. And there was this hope kind of getting back together. And then there's that kind of Omicron phase where everybody kind of shut down again. And then by the sort of the end of 21, it's sort of with the vaccines and everything, it started to become pretty obvious that we'd eventually kind of get back together again. And I think that's sort of the peak. August 21, they had that last round of funding. And at that point, they were uh, valued at $7.7 billion. My you know, it's a huge amount. And I think for just for comparison's sake, I think they had about 1,200 people on staff at that point. Cvent, which is by far the largest event technology company out there, uh, they have about 5,000 staff. Mm. So while, you know, they grew really fast and it was a crazy story and they were valued at about 5 million when they did a SPAC eventually to do an IPO. So it was kind of like, at least at that point, looking back, it was already pretty obvious that Hopin was probably overvalued. Right. And there was a lot of money being thrown at it, not with a lot of kind of due diligence and figuring out if this would work. Um, But it was a big belief, you know, that was the peak. Um, It was a massive company. And, you know, uh, full disclosure, they were a client of Skiff meetings and we did some activations for them at IMAX America, one of the big Mm -hmm. industry trade shows in 2021. And they were, you know, they were spending a lot of money. They were they were investing heavily. They hired a lot of kind of high level people, including uh, Julius Solaris, who was the founder Mm -hmm. of EventMB, which became Skiff Meetings in uh, May of last year. So a lot of money. Well, that's yeah, that's actually um, thank you. Thank you for that, Miguel. That's
0: that's quite a ride. Uh, That's that's a great segue as well into a clip that I have prepared actually of of Julius, who is still in the role that you have now as editor-in-chief of then of NMB, currently Skift Meetings. He interviewed Johnny in the fall of 2020. So this would would have been towards the beginning of their their rise. And I just want to play a clip of him speaking about his outlook, um, which obviously ended up diverging a little bit from reality. Here it is
2: the events industry is a gigantic industry, uh, uh huge, uh, one of the, you know, it's, it's something that, um, you know, it's very difficult. I mean, if we talked about each area, I mean, concerts is a gigantic part of the industry, uh, conferences, field marketing, each of them have large markets and big towns, uh, associated with them. And each of them, I think are going to separate into different things. I don't think that it's, uh, you know, a lot of these experiential events. So I know, uh, you know, maybe I shouldn't go into concerts and the entertainment of events, but most entertainment events, I believe, will return back to in person. Uh, they may have a hybrid component, but a lot of the stuff where really the experience that you have, whether it's a 300 person, uh, you know, yoga event where you're all supposed to do yoga together, I don't think that they're going to stay online. However, uh, a lot of the business events or the trade shows, a lot, this, a lot of the events that were taken up by companies that host events. But it's not necessarily their business and what i mean by this is for example money 2020 is the business running that event uh is an events business they are purely uh an events business and so their revenue is driven uh from events and therefore i believe uh that because they have to make money from sponsors and tickets they are probably going to look very hardcore at hybrid and online will be just as important if not maybe a, a little bit less important than physical Because a lot of the revenue that they were driving were from these physical, uh, the the stuff that you can invest in physical events, which is you know a a flamethrower or whatever else it is that attracts people to come to these uh, massive mega events. Uh, However, the majority of events uh, that are uh, run by companies that are or or organizations or communities where events are part of their company, however, it's not not their main revenue driver. It's actually a source of community engagement or uh, marketing or whatever else, I believe those are going to be online first and they're going to stay online first because the organizer gets more value. If you think about a company, uh, for example, let's look at uh, Slack. That's a good example of this, or even let's look at a pharmaceutical company. Their customers are all across the world uh, and they need to engage them and running it city by city is sometimes a lot more expensive. and So the ROI that they're getting is a lot less than when they host these online events and they can attract a lot more people and actually get a lot more data on it.
0: All right. So that was, that was a long clip, but I think it drives home the point that they had a very brosy outlook um, at that point. You, you mentioned already the things that happened after this interview. Um, yeah. they, they raised a significant amount of money, getting their valuation close to $8 billion. Now, the things that Johnny's saying, are they're, they're rational. They make sense. It's, a, it's an outlook I think that a lot of people had. Clearly, that's not what happened. What do you think it was? Do you think it's just uh, an underestimation of the, you know, revenge uh, uh, attendance, I guess, if if we want to compare it to revenge spending? People just really wanted to get in person following two or three years of not seeing anyone. Is that essentially what it was? Or can you talk a little bit about
1: why the outlook ended up being incorrect? It's super interesting because hearing Johnny uh, talk about this. I don't disagree with him right i think in essence he what is what he says makes a lot of sense but i think there's two elements that probably weren't factored into this equation enough which one is the, the kind of human nature of meeting face to face of sharing uh an in-person experience uh, and i think that is something that we agree that online events in terms of kind of pure knowledge transmission. You know, when you're kind of looking at somebody on a stage, it doesn't really matter if you're in a room or if you're watching video. But the thing is, in-person events, there's a lot of the magic of it is seeing your friends, seeing your colleagues, it's sharing a, a coffee, sharing a drink, having those conversations that you don't have online that r- require that in person, you know, those kind of discrete conversations, those are really important and those kind of are part of that uh, in person experience. And I think ultimately, you know, when we had to be online, we made it work and, you know, it worked to some extent. I think the networking part has always been a bit of a challenge. I've made great connections on LinkedIn and on virtual events, but once I meet people face to face, I think there's a sort of a different level or there's a different type of interaction and I think he probably uh, didn't understand that power and kind of you know kind of thought that it could easily be replicated online. so so once we kind of can meet face to face, I think there's that um that desire to do that and there, there part of it is revenge but I think part of it is also that a lot of people enjoy going to events yeah. and, and sometimes it's not the event itself it's just the fact that, you know, as an employee of a company, when I get when I get paid or when my company pays for me to go to an event, I'm talking in general, you feel kind of special. It's like right. you're, you know, you're selected to be able to go to a conference or you go to an incentive thing or it's whatever a bit of a it perk. It's a bit of a perk. Doing a virtual meeting is is never really a perk. Doing an online <laughs> event. You know, you do them if you're really interested in a topic and you want to understand sure. stuff. The per, you know, there's no virtual champagne. There's no such thing as virtual champagne. Right. And so right. I think that is not to be underestimated. I think that there is definitely an element there that was underestimated. Mm-hmm. I think there's another element to this, which is there's a huge industry around built around in-person events, and a lot of this industry can't simply pivot online, right? You know, there's a huge amount of content stuff and, and speaker and, and all kind of things that can be done online and relatively easily sort of be transferred. But if you look at the, the meetings industry as a sort of whole, all the money is in venues and hotels. Um, that's where the industry really exists. That's the people that are making money. If you go to a show like IMAX, you walk around and the big booths are either hotels or they're destinations both of which make no money if you do events online. And so there's a whole industry built around this idea of in-person events. And when you're sort of trying to take that same industry and do everything online, it's very hard because the vast majority of the industry doesn't want to go online. They don't want to suddenly turn their events. And, And most of these events, you know, he mentioned Money 2020, which is funny because that's an event that kind of has come back really strong and they're doing some really big events again. And it's clear that people kind of want to join and celebrate and and they don't kind of want to be online. They, so all these companies that put on these events never really figured out how to make money from the online bit. You know, they did have sponsorship. Yeah. They did have ticket fees, some of them. A lot of them did it for free to kind of have as many people as they could online. But very few people really figured out a model that worked. That was a that was a profitable model with online events. And part of it is because, you know, when you pay for your registration for an event, there's a sort of implication that you're paying for some catering, that you're paying for the experience, Mm -hmm. the AV and all that stuff. And when you do it online, sure, there's costs involved, but they're very different. And so it's kind of harder to justify that cost. And because nobody kind of or very few people figured out this online model, there wasn't really a sort of whole industry willing and kind of putting a lot of energy behind doing events online. And so when you were able to do events in person, again, I think those two factors really kind of, unfortunately, are sort of killing off the virtual events industry. Don't get me wrong, the virtual events industry still exists, but those crazy $8 billion valuations, they're not they not—they're not valuations expecting this level of industry. I think by my my calculations, the virtual kind of event industry is probably about double what it was pre-pandemic. But pre-pandemic, it was tiny and now it's double of what it was of whatever that tiny bit was. Mm -hmm. Right. So these crazy valuations are not really, you know, these VCs are not in the mood for tiny. So they're kind of going, this isn't working and they're out. Right. Just today, we we just published another article with uh, Verizon. They, they they bought a company called Blue Jeans a while back, and they're basically sunsetting it. They're basically mm-hmm. shutting it down. They're saying there's no business here. We're gonna get on with other stuff that we're doing.
0: And and in your article, the um, the one that discussed the hop and sale, you, you also talk about how these platforms have been commodified. There's no, they're not diversified enough for one of them to have a huge value prop.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can talk about you know features in the chat or how people look or what their profiles look, but they're all these like little details. They're not right. really revolutionary. Right. Nobody's really done anything that different.
0: You know, you were talking about networking, and I remember a feature. Uh, I'm not sure if they still have this in Hoppin, but I remember a feature that they launched um, when I was in the thick of it, where that was essentially business card roulette, mm-hmm. where you could sign, you could activate this feature and then. It would essentially, it was essentially chat roulette. It would throw you into a conversation with someone random at the event. And yeah. the idea is it's good, but in practice, it just didn't feel like bumping into someone at a cocktail uh,
1: party afterwards. It just, just didn't resonate. No, exactly. There's loads of uh, different platforms that have these kind of features that I think ultimately feel quite gimmicky. You know, in the right event, in the right setup, it can work. It can have really interesting possibilities, but I don't know, there's something kind of really human about Shaking hands and being mm-hmm. on a trade show floor and being at a conference and kind of getting introduced to someone, and it's hard to replicate that. You know, maybe in the future it will, maybe it'll come back, but I don't, I don't see it right now.
0: Now we are currently on Streamyard. Uh, it's a virtual, um, how would you call it? It's a studio, essentially,
1: right? Yeah, a virtual we're using, production studio.
0: And we're using it to, re- to record. And um, Hopin actually acquired Streamyard uh, during their their rise. Yeah, but Streamyard was not included in the sale. Can you talk a little bit about uh, more about how this deal is structured and and what yeah, part of Hopin so is going
1: to remain and what's going on? exactly? Away? It's it's kind of fascinating because I, I'm a big fan of Streamyard, also using it before uh, since it's the start of the pandemic and before uh, Hopin acquired it. So Hopin acquired Streamyard for 250 million dollars um, early on. I think it was sort of like February or something like that. Uh, they January had a really they
0: had a really terrible studio in
1: native in, in Hopin. So I, I, w- I remember being thrilled when they acquired StreamYard. Exactly. So the the technicalities of these deals, not everything's been released, but what, what we know is that Hopin itself as a company is going to continue, and it's going to keep StreamYard as well as another platform they have called Streamable, which they also acquired. And that's a sort of like corporate YouTube competitor where you host videos. Um, those two will continue, There's also another product that it's just released called Superwave, which is a community platform. So these three will continue as sort of separate products under the Hoppin company umbrella. What Hoppin sold to this company called Ring Central was actually its virtual event platform, which it calls Studio, and um, Sessions, which is a sort of webinar version of Studio. So these two Platform, so you know it's actually wrong for us to say that Hopin was sold, but it's a bit right. of a technicality because really it was this product that really made Hopin become this unicorn, uh, and now that core product is gone. You know they've essentially sold those assets and they sold it to a company called Ring Central. Yeah, can you tell us about Ring Central? Who, what's, who, who are they? And yeah, who? they're kind of a Zoom competitor. They're very much into corporate communications, into you know phones and video comms and things like that, and so they're essentially, I think, seeing this as a an extension to that. So they, they offer sort of a basic webinar service and now they want to offer something a bit bigger. And hey, for 15 million dollars, um, it's it's not very expensive to have something that actually works quite well. Um, apparently there is a some clauses in the sale that can raise the price up to 50 million dollars, which mm-hmm. I would guess depends. And this is a bit of a, a you know, a, I guess but i, I think it, it will depend on some performance components like how many clients stick around and that kind of thing right so it could go up to 50 million dollars but still you know nothing uh, for a company that that raised over a billion dollars um in in all of this selling for 15 to 50 million dollars is nothing so so that's where we are um i've we've tried to reach out to ring central and kind of get more Information about how they're going to use it. They're going through a bit of a crisis at the moment. Their CEO just stepped down, and their oh. stock dropped by about twenty percent. So, also was this before the sale or, or after the sale? This was after the sale, uh, but they had a, okay. an earnings call afterwards, and uh, the Hopin was like a footnote. The, 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 the acquisition of Hopin was a footnote. The CFO actually said something along the lines of, um, "This won't affect our, you know, our bottom line at all. This acquisition is like a small Ouch. thing." Uh, and then the CEO, the, the the stepping down of CEO was announced at the same earnings call and that really kind of scared off investors. So mm. it's a bit sad, but it just seems like Hopin's virtual event platform, if you will, has been sort of acquired and it's a minor thing in, in a much larger right. virtual conferencing company. Just a footnote.
0: Well, um, Miguel, I want to thank you so much for being um, with us today. Before we wrap up, can you just tell us? what the implications of of this whole saga are for the industry and what can we expect in in further in this sort of post
1: covid environment as as things settle yeah it's a bit of a tricky one uh unfortunately i think in terms of money invested in virtual events i don't think there's going to be any i think it's a tough time right now for right. for uh, for companies looking for investors anyway but it just feels like we've done the virtual event thing, it didn't work. And so I think investors are definitely moving on. Uh, I I do see a future for some virtual event activity. Uh, And I think companies that are either also heavily involved in in in-person events or part of a larger product that does other things. You have people like Notified and others that are sort of, WebEx, for example, have their WebEx events platform, which was acquired, it used to be called Socio. I think those will make sense a little bit like what ring central wants to do where you know they have a virtual you know vir- video communication platform and then they have a, a sort of extension of that that then becomes the the virtual events platform uh and i think you know people will still want to do online things There's still there will still be streams i just don't know if the vast majority of at least the b2b world where where i live want Kind of multi-day multi-session virtual events mm. i think that is a little bit of a we did this in person and we thought it was going to work online and it hasn't really done that well i mean i'm saying that but we're running our own virtual event in next wednesday so there's okay. still an element for that but our virtual event is essentially a, a sort of extended webinar right we're not right. trying to do multi-session multi-day We're not trying to keep people online long times. We're trying to be efficient. We're trying to offer people content and come in and out. And I think that still works. You know, Apple events and other big companies are doing big online events, some launches, some some even hybrid, like Canva did a really impressive event. But, you know, it's still that idea that, hey, it's more of a stream when you're watching it online. There's a big stage and there's some stuff happening and and you want to hear about it. So you can't travel, so you want to watch it online. And then there's the in-person side of things. So I think it's... It's pretty bad news. I don't see virtual events completely going away, but I don't see a lot of money coming into this part of the industry anytime soon. Right, wow.
0: Well, Miguel, thank you again for your time and for explaining this to us. Listeners, you can find this piece of news as well as all of the news that's fit to print about meetings uh, at meetings.skift.com. And of course you can listen to Miguel on the Skift Meetings podcast every week talking to uh, leaders and thought leaders in the events and meeting space. Thank you again, Miguel. Thanks, Jose. This has been the Skift podcast. Thank you for listening.